A China Airlines 737-800 made a normal scheduled flight to Japan, but after they parked, something went wrong. What caused this plane to melt right after engine shutdown? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. And today we have... Emily. Yay! Yay! Emily's back. You hey. can... There's two reasons Emily comes on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One of them she's is... She's here. She's here. <laughs> the other one is I know too much about the crash. And it's the and latter. And we need someone here. And today it's the latter. Yeah, it's so, the latter of those there two. you go. I have been wanting to cover this one. Since we started. Yeah. So this is not a recommendation today. This is literally because Christy's like, we're doing it and we're not moving it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but this is probably like the last one we have that's not a recommendation. Okay. And we also pushed it off because it's not a recommendation, yeah. like five separate occasions. Yeah, I know. Christy recommended it. Yeah. There we go. Thanks. Thanks, Christy. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Also, thanks to Kirsty. 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 Thank you so for thanks. being a patron. <laughs> Peace sweet. On Peace that sweet. note, what are we covering today, Nick? Oh, thanks. <laughs> Is that a plane crash? No. no. Actually, it's not. We'll get there. We'll get it. We'll okay. get Whoa. It. Today, we are covering China Airlines Flight 120. This happened on August the 20th of 2007. So it's relatively recent. This was a Boeing 737-800 with the tail number Bravo-18616. Typical because most Chinese airlines all have this Bravo tail number. The flight was to be from Taiwan to Okinawa in Japan. So Pretty short flight. Pretty short flight. Yeah, it was about an hour, a little over an hour scheduled flight. Captain for our flight. Couldn't find names, by the way. But the captain was 47 years old. He had 7,941 hours, of which 3,823 hours were on the 737. The first officer, significantly less experienced. He was 26 years old, and he had 890 hours total. So less than 1,000 hours. He had 182 hours on the 737. This flight was to have eight crew members, including the two flight crew, and then 157 passengers. The captain was to be the pilot flying, with the first officer as the pilot monitoring. The flight departed Taiwan at 8.23 a.m. local time, or 9.23 a.m. Japan time, because they are one hour different. The flight proceeded as scheduled, and the flight landed on runway 26 at Naha Airport in Okinawa, Japan, at 10.26 a.m. and 52 seconds. That's local time. The aircraft exited the runway at taxiway Echo 6. We've literally had a whole flight. Wow. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. JK. Something has to happen. Something has to happen, right? (laughs) 10.27 a.m. and 49 seconds. The slats, flaps, and spoilers were retracted as the airplane taxied. The airplane was assigned parking spot number 41 at the airport 10:28 a.m. and 9 seconds the plane turned on taxiway alpha 5 as the crew was completing their after landing checklist at 10:31 a.m. and 57 seconds the aircraft came to a stop at spot 41 10:32 a.m. both engines were shut down as part of the crew's completion of their parking checklist so we've literally completed everything and that's it we can go home oh cool good thanks episode, for listening guys, guys. yeah bye <laughs> I hope yeah. I hope you enjoy the episode. I have no questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not actually how this went. Well, forty-four seconds later, a ground crew member connected their inner phone 
system on the aircraft's nose to communicate with the flight crew as usual. This is normal for any airport. 21 seconds after that, the assistant maintenance engineer on the ground used the interphone system to contact the captain to tell him that there was a fire on the number two engine. Mind you, everybody's still on board. About the same time, the controllers in the tower noticed smoke coming from the area of the parked plane, and they used their camera system, as they couldn't actually see the airplane directly from the tower, they used a camera system to confirm that there was a fire coming from the aircraft. Oh no! Uh-oh. spaghetti Exactly. <laughs> there were no fire alarms sounding in the cockpit, however. Oh. So the captain was a bit perplexed. Was it because they were parked? Oh, we'll get there. 10.33 a.m. and 42 seconds, the captain looked out his window and noted a lot of black smoke coming from the aft of the plane. So he pulled the fire extinguisher for the number one engine, the left engine. And mind you, it was the ground crew that said the number two engine, the right engine, that was on fire. So we're going great here. Yeah. Yep. As you do. He immediately called over the cabin PA system, quote, attention crew on station, end quote, to notify the cabin crew to take their emergency stations. Ten seconds later, the captain instructed the cabin crew to, quote, prepare for evacuation, end quote. At 10.33 a.m. and 58 seconds, the tower coordinator, in theory probably the supervisor in the tower, started reporting the fire over the crash phone, which simultaneously notifies the fire command room, so the actual like fire department on the airport, the air traffic service flight information office, basically the local traffic control center, and the Air Self-Defense Force Base Operations, who also have a fire-fighting equipment on the airport, because there is actually a Japan Air Self-Defense Base on the airport. That is their form of the military. Their form of the Air Force. 10.34 a.m. and 12 seconds, the air traffic controller reported the fire to the aircraft. Who already knew for almost two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much uh, for letting us know, but... Uh, We're well know? aware. <laughs> We see the smoke. We got it. Thanks. Yep. The captain made another PA call telling the cabin crew to begin the passenger evacuation. So passengers are beginning to panic a bit at this point because they're trapped in an airplane and it's on fire. They can see that out of the window. But they are starting to evacuate at this point. This is where we do a plug where we say, please listen to the crew members. They will get you off safely. Yep. End of plug. Yep. <laughs> 10.34 a.m. and 24 seconds, the passenger evacuation begins using the slide at the the forward left and right doors and the rear left door. 10.34 a.m. and 49 seconds, the APU fire extinguisher was pulled and used to shut down the APU. Okay. Yep. What? Pull the number two! Well, this was followed immediately by the number two engine okay, fire extinguisher being you. pulled. Gosh, it was like, they were told it was the number two, they pulled the number one. I could kind of understand sometimes when you're in a weird situation, you just do well, what you think is best. We'll talk about this, but a lot of this came from because the captain looked out his window and saw the large cloud of black smoke rising away from the aft end on his side. Because the, there was this southerly wind that was pushing the smoke over such his direction. That, such that the captain could see it. So he could see the smoke. The first officer, on the other hand, looked out his window, could only see the wingtip, and he saw no smoke. Oh, that's just because of the... Wind. The wind. wind. So that makes sense. So this is okay. why they were a bit confused. In the end, the captain pulled all three fire extinguishers. I mean, if the smoke doesn't go away after the first one, I just pull the other two immediately anyway. Yeah. Better safe than sorry. Exactly. 
Their crew followed an emergency evacuation procedure. The captain made one last call on the cabin PA system, instructing the cabin crew to evacuate the airplane as soon as all passengers were evacuated. So, just telling them, get off, once nobody else is there. 10.35 a.m. Three fire engines left the garage. So, they have the actual airport fire fighting crew. 10.35 a.m. and 42 seconds. Evacuation from the forward right door completed. So, everybody was off that side. The fire trucks encountered traffic with another airplane on a taxiway that had been cleared to taxi to another parking spot, which further delayed their response to the fire. Air tra- literally, the airplane landed after the fire was already noted and had started, and after the firefighters were already notified, and then this airplane taxied off the runway, and normally, when there's an emergency, airports bring everything to a halt. Well, the ground controller proceeded to give this airplane taxi directions to its parking spot, which uh, then then put it in the way of the fire trucks. That's uh, not great. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, someone should tell that ground controller, uh, Don't. You messed up. <laughs> yeah. The number two fire engine tried to make contact with the tower, but was unable. And by the way, they did this about four times, as well as the tower tried to contact them. Good good? It's just like all this stuff going on, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. trying to get a hold of the tower. Tower's trying to get a hold of them. No one can get a hold of anybody. No one's communicating. Chaos. 10.35 a.m. and 58 seconds. Evacuation from the rear left door was completed. 10.36 a.m. The Japan Air Self-Defense fire trucks left their garage on the way to the fire. 10.36 a.m. and two seconds, so two seconds later, at the instruction of the captain, the first officer began attempting to evacuate the cockpit via an escape rope from the right side cockpit window. Four seconds later, evacuation was completed from the forward left door. So now we have all three evacuation doors. Everybody's off, basically. They've evacuated the airplane. Two cabin crew members, one from the back and one from the front, walked through the cabin, meeting in the middle, making sure that all passengers were off before evacuating themselves. 10.36 a.m. and 11 seconds, seven seconds after that, as the first officer was still on the rope trying to evacuate, a large explosion occurred on the right wing, which caused the first officer to fall to the ground from a somewhat considerable height. He he did manage to get up, though, and run away from the airplane. Yeah, like he didn't break his legs or anything, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, I think it was 12 or 14 feet up, something like that. So. I mean, he was high up, but a 737 is relatively low to the ground, so he didn't fall that far. That's still pretty far. Yeah, that's still relatively impressive can... that he could just get up and then run. Yes. Yeah, was... you can definitely break your legs or your ankles falling yep. from that high. Nope, he well, was and okay. you can probably still break your ankle, but with the amount of adrenaline, still get up and hightail it out of there. I mean, oh, yes. But he got up and he got out of there. 10.36 a.m. and 20 seconds, the captain escaped through the same window using the rope and was the last person off the airplane. His evacuation went well. <laughs> you mean because he wasn't rocked by an explosion? Yeah, he wasn't rocked by an explosion. I'd be real hesitant to get on that rope. I mean, granted, you have you very get limited options, but yeah. that's a sketchy rope. Yep. Can they go out of the yes the doors and but right behind they the can but except they, there's a fire. They can, but the captain was unsure of the situation going on on the other side of the door because oh, he hadn't heard anything. Okay. So he has no idea. So in in his effort to be safe, they knew that they could leave out the window. Oh, okay. So that's what they did. I was just 
making sure, because I'm like, I'm pretty sure we've heard of crews that have gone down the slides before. Yeah, and they do. I'm pretty sure Sully did. Yep, Sully did. Yeah. Uh, 34 seconds later, another large explosion occurred. 10.37 a.m., the city dispatched a group of fire trucks. So this is the actual city of the Naha airport, the city of Naha dispatched a set of fire trucks that they're on. 10.37 a.m. and 11 seconds, a third explosion occurred. So there were now three explosions on this airplane. 10.38 a.m. and 25 seconds, the first fire trucks finally arrived and began dispensing fire extinguishing foam from the aft end of the airplane onto the right side. It took way too long for them uh, to get let's there. Let's see. I can tell you just about exactly how long it took. It took almost exactly six minutes from the time that the initial fire was re- like was reported to the captain and the time that the fire trucks actually arrived. That's like way too much time. Yes. There's like reasons why they have fire trucks on airport site. grounds. Yeah. Yes. It should take you probably less than a minute to be able to get over there. Yeah. Maybe a minute. I could see a minute, but six? That's Yeah. Good. I mean, average time at most airports is two to three minutes of response time. Six minutes is a bit long. It could have been pretty bad had everybody been on board when it started exploding. But they got stuck behind a plane. Yes. Like, yeah, that wasn't necessarily definitely on those That people. wasn't on the fire yeah. department, that no. That was the this ground is just, controller's fault. This is yeah. just showing kind of how di- how uncoordinated this whole effort was at the airport and how they didn't have a response plan, basically. Complicated. A second after that, the aft portion of the fuselage collapsed, allowing the tail to fall to the ground... Onto the, the surface of the tarmac. Thankfully, nobody was on board. Minute and a half later, the right wing tip fell to the ground. 10.40 a.m., the city dispatched a second group of fire engines, so now there are a lot of fire trucks on the way or there. 10.42 a.m., the Japan Air Self-Defense firefighters started to help out with the fire. 10.44 a.m., the first group of the city fire trucks started to help with the fire, so this is now... Another six minutes after the first fire trucks arrived. Jeez. 11.37 a.m. A little over an hour after the fire was first reported. The firefighting operations were finally completed and the airplane lay in pieces on the tarmac, charred. Melted. Very much so. Nobody perished in this incident or was injured, thankfully. At least according to the report anyway, but like we said, the first officer fell. And though he didn't have very many injuries, it was pretty minor. So they didn't, I guess they just didn't count him in the report as having any injuries. Well, clearly he didn't like break his leg or whatever. Yes. They would have, if it turned out that he had broken his leg, I'm sure they would have said something. But I imagine that fall still, at least you you would have bruised something. knees or something, man. That's not good for your knees. It wouldn't have been good for your anything. To an extent, if you count all the like... Just bruises and or scratches. Yeah. Oh, you probably have unless a lot some more kind injuries of, in general. Unless he's some kind of ninja and he tucked and rolled. But in the video, he clearly did not. No. <laughs> There's plenty of video of this, by the way. Which we will watch during our break. Yes, Ooh. we will. The fuselage had broken into three large sections, and the right wing had melted from the fire till it was touching the ground. So the three portions were forward of the wing and after the wing. The wing, the center section was still standing. But the whole forward fuselage was pretty much laying on the ground, and the whole rear fuselage was laying on the ground, charred. Yeah. Melted. Yes, very much so. Okay, we're going to take our break now so that we can watch said video. Yes. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So that video was taken by someone in the terminal on not a smartphone because this was before smartphones, mm-hmm. but it was a very crucial tool in the investigation. Yeah, and the video actually shows a lot, and it it it's interesting because in the report they don't ever talk about like the rear right door, which was also used for evacuation. So, mind you, the whole story that I took is is basically out of the report, and they have a lot of statements, they have a lot from the recorders, things like that. But, but there's only so much that could be recorded since they shut the engines off and. The right. recorders shut off with the engines, as right. they do. So they managed to roughly sync it up with the video, and then use the video, which was pretty detailed, to determine when a lot of things happened. How long it took the fire trucks to show up. Which was forever, if you watched the video. It was forever. Everybody it, was already off and gone. It's linked on our website, for the record. Yes. So it shows a lot of things, and it shows how insane the fire actually was. And how quick it happened. Yeah, how quickly it engulfed the entire airplane, basically. This investigation was performed by the Japan Transport Safety Board, which is a new one for us. Both black boxes were recovered, which recorded up until when the engines were shut down. So weren't the most helpful of things, but they still did a little bit. Investigators immediately began performing interviews with passengers, crew, witnesses, etc. And it also helped that they had this video footage of the incident on our website. The whole incident was really bizarre, given the circumstances. As you know, if you've listened to our podcast, most accidents occur during takeoff and landing, some during cruise, but it is so rare for an accident to occur on the ground, let alone after the engines are shut down. I actually don't know or recall any other circumstance like this. Yeah, this is a very, very strange incident because of that. I mean, literally, like, you mind, mind you, like, at this point, you're pretty much, like, home safe. Engines are shut down. You're parked. Crew's like, cool, get to go, uh, get off the plane, do the next thing. Not so much. Apparently. Not with this one, anyway. Nope. Investigators looked through the engines for any signs of any kind of failure, as statistically speaking, there's a pretty good chance that was the problem. They found nothing. Helpful. Yep, isn't it? Well, now let's think about it for a second. If you paused to watch the video we have linked on our website... You saw how quickly and intensely that fire grew. A fire like that needs to be fed. And what better fuel for a fire is there than, um, fuel? Jet fuel. In the wings. Yeah. Yeah. And this was actually supported by the video. If you look at the ground closely towards the beginning, you see a line of fire extending back from the engine. Last I checked, cement is inflammable. Right. That's why Touché. they use cement. <laughs> yes. Fuel is. So it was on the tarmac. Using the interviews, investigators discovered that fuel had been leaking from the right engine area before the fire. And they searched fervently for two days through fuel lines and pumps and the whole fuel system when a puncture hole was found in the slack track can for the number five slat, the inboard right slat that is adjacent to the fuel tank. The edges of the holes were the odd part, though. The edges were bent as though something was pushed into the hole from the outside. But it was in the slat track can. Slats are 
part of the front or leading edge of the wing that extend forward during slow airspeed parts of a flight to create more surface area on the wing and therefore more lift. The slat is extended by metal rods, if you will, and when they retract, there's a void built into the fuel tank called a can, a little garage for the metal rod. The only thing that's supposed to be in this, in that track can is the slat. I make that sound really mysterious, but it was actually pretty simple since the thing that caused the hole was still stuck in the hole. Yep. It was a small assembly consisting of a bolt, washer, hexagonal piece, sleeve, and a nut. Investigators tried to figure out the timeline going backward. They had the video footage of the fire itself, but they were more interested in how exactly it began. To do so, they used the data from the flight data recorder, or the FDR, which records how much fuel is in each tank as one of its parameters. When the aircraft touched down on the runway, the left tank had 5,530 pounds of fuel, and the right tank had 5,540 pounds. About equal, like 10 pound difference between the two. Yep. But when they pulled into the gate, the left tank had 5,440 pounds of fuel, and the right tank had 5,370 pounds. It had lost a lot of fuel in a very short amount of time. Yep. It was about 70 pounds different than the left tank. The fuel leak began sometime during the taxi. Well, it turns out that during taxiing, the crews performing their after-landing checklist, which include retracting the slats. And investigators determined that that action of retracting the slats is what pushed the bolt into the fuel tank while puncturing it and beginning the fuel leak. Now, where exactly did this bolt assembly come from? Investigators poured through schematics, engineering drawings, and maintenance records trying to identify the piece. And looking at the schematics for the slat mechanism, they found their answer. The assembly is a downstop used in the slat extension process to stop the slat at whatever setting is set in the cockpit. The downstop is designed with that hexagonal piece I mentioned. Well, if you look at the photo of it on our website, you might notice that the bolt doesn't go through the exact center of it. By having it off-center, it has three different levels that fit in three different settings, corresponding to the three different levels of extension of the slat. So at each setting, the downstop stops the slat from extending further or falling out of the wing. From there, investigators were able to connect the dots and string together the series of events. Sometime during the descent or landing, the slats were extended and the downstop came loose and fell into the slat track. After landing, the crew retracted the slats and the downstop was pushed into the slat track can, causing the fuel leak on the bottom surface of the number 5 slat section and the fuel would have fallen onto the exhaust piping for the engine, except the engines were still going, blowing the fuel backward and away from the hot engine. But once the engines were shut down at the gate, nothing stopped the fuel from hitting the hot metal, vaporizing and igniting. You know, that's why the ground crew said, hey, your number two engine's on fire. Well, to some extent, yes, it was. That wasn't exactly what was on fire. That's just where the fire was starting. And the reason they didn't have a fire warning in the cockpit is because this was on the exhaust end of the engine. The fire warning is generally set inset inside the engine. Oh, okay. The fire was on the external engine. Eventually, it probably would have burned enough that it would have set off the fire alarm, but by that point, they had already pulled the fire extinguishers. So... That lot of good they can do from there. Par for the course. Well, it's probably better they didn't wait for that. Yes. This is why communication is very important. Which the ground crew was very good about. But yeah. the crew... Well, yeah, because the, the flight crew were sitting there for like 44 seconds waiting. 
waiting because they were waiting for the ground crew to tell them that the chocks were on so that they could release the brake and finish shutting down the airplane. Well, that didn't come. Instead, fire! Fire on the number two engine! We stopped that process. There was, a, <laughs> there was an incident. Yeah. A small one. That's what came over their headset. So how had the downstop assembly come loose? Well, investigators found that there were two previous incidents of the nut on the assembly coming loose, and one of them had something similar happen, where the nut fell into the slot track and got pushed into the fuel tank wall. Great. In that instance, though, since it was only the nut and not the whole assembly, the fuel leak was much smaller and not as catastrophic. It did not cause a fire. I mean, that's good. To address the issue, Boeing issued a service letter on December 15, 2005, recommending that when next most convenient in the maintenance schedule, the threads on that bolt should be coated with a thread locking compound, something similar to what you'd find at a home improvement store. It's literally called thread locker. A new nut was to be installed and then tightened to 50 to 80 inch pounds of torque. According to maintenance records, all of this was performed on the accident aircraft just a few weeks before the accident. Right. And the nut was tightened to 70 inch pounds, as prescribed, which makes sense since the nut was still on the bolt. Yep. So why did the entire downstop assembly come loose? Because there wasn't a problem with the nut anymore. Nope. Investigators examined the assembly found and compared it very, very closely to the engineering drawings. The part is supposed to be assembled in order as bolt, washer, downstop, sleeve, washer, and nut. What investigators found on the assembly was bolt, washer, downstop, sleeve, nut. They were missing a washer. One washer. Tiny little piece of metal. Yep. (laughs) So, yes, the second washer near the nut is gone. Investigators found it amidst the wreckage separately from the rest of the downstop assembly. Emily looks confused. Did we just, like, throw it in there? Like, we're not going to put it on. (laughs) We're just going to throw it in there. It'll be fine. For the life of them, investigators could not figure out... How you could possibly mess up this maintenance. You take off the nut, add some thread locker, and put the nut back on, crank it down, and you're done. What the heck is the problem? How would the washer even come off if it wasn't part of the maintenance? It wasn't supposed to be taken off at all. And why did a single washer matter so much? Even little things matter. Yes. Turns out. That's yeah. the point Quite of this, a bit. That's the point of this episode. That's, that's why I wanted to cover it. That's what makes this so significant. Having hit a wall, investigators went to go see this bit of maintenance performed at China Airlines in Taiwan to see how exactly they did it. In the Air Disasters episode, they depicted the mechanic as saying something along the lines of, I don't know how much good it'll do for you to watch. You won't see much. Well, that's puzzling. What do you mean? It turns out that to perform the maintenance, you don't actually remove the downstop assembly from the plane. The area around the downstop is very tight and doesn't really allow for you to remove the part or have any visual on what you're doing. So you reach up from under the wing and blindly remove the nut, going by feel alone, apply the thread locker, and just as blindly torque the nut back on. It would be oh so easy for you to knock that washer off. So if you hear a ting... You did it wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out. 
So now we have the how, but we are routed back to the question of why does one washer, one tiny washer, matter? <laughs> so investigators try to assemble the whole thing with and without the washer. With the washer, everything's fine. Lo and behold, without the washer, the entire assembly just falls out. It's kind of hard to portray verbally, but I'll do my best. If you look at the downstop assembly on our website, specifically the picture with the blue background showing where the washer should be, you can see that the order left to right is nut, washer, sleeve, downstop, washer, bolt head. The washer and downstop have a larger diameter than the sleeve. That's because when fully assembled in the plane, the sleeve is inside of another component, and the downstop and washer keep the assembly in that larger component around the sleeve. If you take the washer out of the equation, there's nothing keeping the downstop assembly from sliding to what would be the right in this instance, and into the slack track bordering the fuel tank. In other words, the washer is the only thing keeping that assembly in place. Yep. The nut isn't big enough on its own for the hole that the whole assembly fits through to actually hold it in place. Yeah. It relies on the washer solely. Solely to put pressure against the outside wall of the slat assembly. Yep. So one washer led to the destruction of an entire plane. Tiny washer. Big job. Pretty rare that we can say that one thing caused this, but one thing caused this, and it was small. Very. It was a washer. A small washer. The little washer that couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) The little washer that wasn't. (laughs) He was there. He just couldn't get up. He was just chilling in the slat track the whole time. Which is amazing, because it performed, I think, several flights, actually, like this. There were six weeks between the maintenance and the accident. So it's kind of surprising this didn't happen sooner. So I think what they determined was that over time, because there's enough pressure being put on the assembly in both directions when it's, you know, when it's all the way in and when it's all the way out, that in general, it wouldn't just work itself out on one try. But each time that it would go through an actuation, it would slowly wiggle itself out. Well, and then landings and stuff can jostle it out of place. And just over time, it was bound to happen. So more than likely on the landing, it fell out. And then when they retracted the slats after landing, it, it just pushed it through the wall. Into the fuel tank. And fuel leaked. And plane go boom. And the whole set of circumstances could only have happened once they were parked with the engines shut off. And they had to do this maintenance on a lot of planes. On oh. every single 737. Which is so a the lot odds of them. that the tank happened in more than one of them might be fairly not bad. high. Per the Air Disasters episode, they mentioned that this was not the only plane that it was found on. By far and away not. Shocking. And they're literally doing this, like, blindly. Which is the whole reason that it happens. And you men- we mentioned earlier, I don't, was it during the break? Yeah, it was during the break. Emily commented on how low to the ground the plane is. And Nick mentioned that's because of maintenance, so that they can do stuff at eye level. Now I know why Christy laughed, because you can't see it anyways. Yes, so... Yeah. He, w- he didn't have to stand on a ladder to do it, but he still couldn't see it. Yeah, the slats... If he had stood on a ladder, would it have helped? No. Mm, not necessarily. Because you can't get in there. No, it's in... Yeah, it's tucked pretty back in there. Once you've got both hands in that track, you like, you wouldn't be able to see anything. Just put anyways. one-handed. They depicted it as with one hand. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. But the the whole thing about the 737, yes, it was built close to the ground so that primarily for engine maintenance and then basic things, tires, brakes, things like that, they can all be worked on at eye level 
for mechanics versus a lot of bigger airplanes where that's not possible. So the whole point of the 737 when it was originally designed was to keep that. And we have kept that with the 737 ever since. Not even going to get into why that's a problem. Because you might know. That's all we'll say on that. Okay. So, fun fact, this report did not have actual findings. Woohoo! It, it was um, organized a smidge differently than most reports. It's a little strange. So, I'm going to be reading from a couple sections in the analysis section that sound like findings. And then a really very, very, like, page-long probable cause. Excellent. A couple recommendations and then some actual airworthiness directives that were issued issued after the fact. Good. So, the first thing I'm going to read from says, start and spread of the fire. So, this is how they found out where the fire started, how it spread, etc. So, the downstop assembly of the main track became detached and fell off. Thank you. Yes. Or it would not have gone into the tank. <laughs> When the slat was retracted, the arm pushed the bolt of the assembly, and the bolts punctured a hole in the track can. The fuel leaking out through the punctured hole flowed along the wing's leading edge and reached the pylon. The fuel falling down from the area around the joint between the wing bottom and the pylon was blown aft by the blast of the engine fan nozzle air in the form of a mist. This condition continued while the aircraft was taxiing and even after it was parked until the engines were shut down. As the blast weakened after the engines were shut down, the f leaked fuel began falling straight down and splashing directly onto the exhaust pipe. After the above-mentioned conditions continued for a certain period of time, the heat of the exhaust pipe ignited the fuel, which then started the fire. The fire spread over, the fuel spilled on the ground. So, and you'll see in the video that's on the website, it literally tracks down along the ground. Behind, yeah, all underneath, underneath the and by the plane, yeah. After the fire spread to the left side of the aircraft, explosions occurred on the aircraft, and the left side of the aircraft burst into flames. Do you have any questions okay. thus far, Emily? No. Okay. Does it make they sense? found the washer. That was a finding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Christy's face oh, was no. the best part of that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh. Okay. The left aft portion of the aircraft went up in flames a little while later. As viewed from the outside, the fire did not spread to the inside of the aircraft, especially to its forward and aft end portions, because they were laying on the ground, until the time when firefighting operations started. So right. that's the end about the fire starting and how it spread, etc. So the next thing I'm going to read from is factors contributing to no casualties, because as we said, no one perished in this accident. Yep. Thank God. So the first one is passenger preparedness for evacuation. So once the engines were shut down, the fire started after 53 seconds, and the captain's order to prepare for evacuation was issued after a minute and 52 seconds. Even within the limited time frame, an orderly evacuation was made possible due to partly to the fact that the passengers had begun preparing for disembarkation immediately after the aircraft stopped in its spot and were waiting in line in the aisle. So they were Pretty normal, right? already in the aisle, ready to exit the aircraft, even... Pretty yeah. normal, right? Anytime you're, you've been on a flight, as soon as you hear that seatbelt sign click off, you hear click, 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 click. Yep. Everybody gets up. Starts were, getting their bags. They were emotionally ready to get they were, Oh, yes. <laughs> this one-hour flight, man. Oh, horrible. 
I don't know. Long I mean, we've sit. seen a couple people get angry at like a 45 minute flight. Yeah, so. which is just silly to me. But yeah, people just get up immediately. And I mean, yeah. I kind of get it. You're in a cramped little seat. You want to stand up. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, yeah, that that is true. They were all pretty much up, ready to go. Yep. Early recognition and reporting of the fire. So since the ground crew members were aware of the abnormal condition being suspected of the fuel leaking with the aircraft in such an early stage, while the aircraft was still moving on the surface along the aircraft's stand lead-in lines, they could notice the fire as soon as it started. So the ground crew automatically knew and then radioed the crew immediately to let them know there was a fire. Which is huge. I mean... Having that, otherwise, they could have been they in a much... They wouldn't have known. Well, because right. there was no indication in the cockpit. They could have been in a much, much worse situation. The next one is a safe evacuation. The aircraft's emergency exits were positioned relatively low to the ground, which made it easy for the passengers to escape down the slides. The accident occurred during the daytime under good weather, which helped facilitate the evacuation and the subsequent escape of safe places, to safe places. So... They were able to get out and get to a safe place because, like, the weather was good and it was in daylight. And... Yeah, given the circumstances, it was like a best-case scenario. Yeah. It really was. Uh, next one is a smooth evacuation. So the evacuation was completed so quickly and safely that everyone was able to leave the aircraft before the arrival of the fire services, which we will talk about later. It was not great. Voluntary assistance by ground crew members at the slides helped evacuees make a smooth escape. So ground crew was around the plane, probably telling them where to go to get away from the airplane so it was safe. The fire started after the aircraft had parked, which facilitated discovery and reporting of the fire and prompt implementation of evacuation and assistance. So because people were already there and they already knew what was going on, it was easy for them to help out. So good on the ground crew because they were like, let me assist you. Damages limited to the aircraft. As the adjacent spots on both sides were empty, no other aircraft was affected by the explosions and smoke. Which is good. Huzzah! Yay! <laughs> the disembarkation was not of a type using a boarding bridge, which eliminated the chance of the bridge and the terminal building suffering any damage. So, and you'll see this in the episode, or in the uh, video that we post. There was no uh, this like bridge that goes up to the airplane jetway. Yeah. yeah there's no jetway yeah they were just going to use stairs because it's out on the, the middle of a tarmac it's supposed to be a bus parking which is why all the buses were there to begin with that makes a lot more sense it was a I bus because they didn't get anyone they just drove away yeah well it was a bus spot well they couldn't even do anything they're like what do we do everybody's just running around the tarmac everywhere i want to get on a plane with stairs not we could in do the that United, sometime not in the united states I mean, oh we could we could well the last we can do it miranda Never say no. Not a lot of places use stairs anymore. That's fair. It's probably not the safest. DIA does. There's, yeah, the little gates out it. On occasion. I mean, you Frontier have to. Does. It's like, even when we've been on Frontier, sometimes we haven't used the stairs out Most there. Most of the time. Most of the time. I've never used the stairs. I have. Yeah. Matters contributing to determination of the cause of the accident. And there's two of these, and then we'll go to the probable cause. One, since a wind was blowing almost squarely from the right to the left of the aircraft, the source of the fuel leakage was maintained under sufficiently good conditions to identify the situation. So even though they shut, they had pulled the fire extinguisher for the wrong engine, they just eventually pulled all the fire extinguishers anyway. <laughs> like, they knew it was a problem, so they yeah. just did it. Yep. And number two, there remained a condition that allowed clear recognition on the inappropriate installation of the downstop assembly of the slat during the maintenance work. 
It is considered highly probable that this condition was preserved because the tip of the right wing drooped and rested on the ground at 1039 and 48 seconds or 6 minutes and 55 seconds after the fire had started. Due to the burning of the root of the wing, which stopped the fuel leaking from the hole punctured in the fuel tank and thus prevented further burning of the wing. So they were able to determine where it originated. Which you can actually see the pictures from inside the fuel tank on the website, and you can see the downstop assembly sticking out. They used a borescope inside the fuel tank to find that, and there's like no evidence of fire in those pictures. No. Proof that the fire wasn't there. Probable cause. Hang in there, friends. It's a full page. Uh, Woohoo! I think this is a record for us. It's yeah, so probably. long. I don't know why they had this long. It's pretty easy to figure out what happened, but okay. Ready? You buckled in? Prepare for me to do some slips? Okay, here we go. It is considered highly probable that the accident occurred through the following causal chain. When the aircraft retracted the slats after landing at Naha Airport, the track can't that housed the inboard main track of the number 5 slat on the right wing was punctured, creating a hole. Fuel leaked out through the hole, reaching the outside of the wing. A fire started when the fuel leaked when the leaked fuel came into contact with high temperature areas on the right engine after the aircraft stopped in its assigned spot and the aircraft burned out after several explosions. With regard to the cause of the puncture in the track can, it is certain that the downstop assembly having detached from the aft end of the above-mentioned inborn main track fell off into the track can. And when the slat was retracted, the assembly was pressed by the track against the track can and punctured it. With regard to the cause of the detachment of the downstop assembly, it is considered highly probable that during the maintenance works for preventing the nut from loosening, which the company carried out on the downstop assembly about one and a half months prior to the accident based on the service letter, from the manufacturer of the aircraft, the washer on the nut side of the assembly fell off, following which the downstop on the nut side of the assembly fell off, and then the downstop assembly eventually fell off the track. It is considered highly probable that a factor contributing to the detachment of the downstop assembly was the design of the downstop assembly, which was unable to prevent the assembly from falling off if the washer is not installed. With regard to the detachment of the washer, it is considered <laughs> probable that the following factors contributed to this. Despite the fact that the nut was in a location difficult to access during the maintenance works, neither the manufacturer of the aircraft nor the company had paid sufficient attention to this when preparing the service letter and engineering order job card, respectively. Also, neither of the maintenance operator nor the job supervisor reported the difficulty of the job to the one who had ordered the job. So it was hard, no one noticed, and no one said anything. Yep. And, uh... This is a long-winded way of saying that. Washer came loose, thing hit into the thing, caused fuel leakage, and boom. There you go. Probable cause. Washer <laughs> fell. <Yeah. laughs> washer no Washer forgotten. It wasn't well, forgotten, it just it fell. fell. But then it was forgotten. Maybe they didn't hear the tink. It's highly probable they didn't hear the tink. And from what I have experienced being in a maintenance facility where Nick's dad used to work. It's not quiet in there. Yeah. Believe me, I understand. I understand why it was missed. But, 
it blows. Yeah. So up. it blows up. Uh, <laughs> bad pun. Bad, bad pun. pun. So safety recommendations. There's two of these. Excellent. Preparation of maintenance job instructions. The Japan Transport Safety Board recommends the Federal Aviation Administration of the United States of America to supervise the Boeing company, the manufacturer of the aircraft, to take the following actions. When preparing maintenance job instructions for airline airlines such as service letters or bulletins, the scopes of jobs should be clearly defined and the working conditions and environments including uh, accessibilities to job areas should be appropriately evaluated in order to prevent maintenance errors. This is a very tough thing to tackle because you're talking about engineering the specific area to be worked on. And it's not that it necessarily wasn't, but it's hard to do that and make it functional and make it lightweight. There's a very fine line between functional, lightweight, and accessible. Another thing I do want to mention about this particular service letter slash service bulletin all through this, we made it sound like it just happened on that particular slat. There Definitely are, not. There are a total of eight slats, four on each wing. And it was supposed to be performed on every single one of them. Yep. Right. It just so happened that this incident and the previous two incidents both happened on the number five slat. It's a little amazing that more planes didn't burst into flames yeah, yeah. <laughs> considering this service was supposed to be performed on every 737 in service yeah like yep. i would have yeah. expected lots more fires it's statistically lucky. lucky pretty is pretty much is lucky well and lucky that they found that this was a problem and that the one plane itself was enough you know well and the one plane happened two years after the service bulletin went out right so lucky yes so the next one is planning and implementation of maintenance jobs. The Japan Transport Safety Board recommends the Civil Aeronautics Administration of Taiwan to supervise China Airlines to take the following actions. When planning and implementing maintenance jobs, the scopes of jobs should be fully ascertained and the working conditions and environment should be appropriately evaluated. And the countermeasures to prevent maintenance errors, including the actions taken in 2009 against the recurrence of this accident, should be steadfastly implemented and enhanced. So making sure China Airlines doesn't do this again? <laughs> yeah, well, that and just making sure that there's better supervision over the the work. Yes. Yeah, making sure that like the it's pretty clear what has to be done and how this and, procedure could go wrong. Yeah, reporting like, "Hey, we can't actually see the maintenance we're doing." Right. Right. That could be a problem. That's important. Yeah. So, the next uh section I'm going to read from is called referential matters. Referential? Yes. Referential matters. Sure. I've never heard the term. I don't, I, it's like, uh, my, my brain goes to referrals, but I, I don't know. I so, would think it is, it's like other recommendations. Related, yeah. Other related things. Well, so here's, here's the thing for the first three sections. I'm only going to read the first section. Here's why, because the first section outlines it for the civil aviation bureau of Japan. And it's the same thing that they recommend to the FAA and the CAA. Yeah, so I'm not going to read it for three times. That's usually it's the how same those thing. go. Yeah. But I'm going to read it once, and then I'm going to tell you that Copy they did based. it to the FAA and the CAA. <laughs> because the FAA is where Boeing is, and the CAA is where China Airlines is. Yeah, it's pretty typical they do that. It's annoying, but 
there you go, there's my disclaimer. So, these are airworthiness directives requiring inspection issued by the Civil Aviation Bureau of Japan. The Civil Aviation Bureau of Japan, or the JCAB, issued airworthiness directive TCD 7152-2007 on August 23, 2007, instructing all Japanese operators of Boeing 737-700-800 aircraft to conduct repetitive inspections on the downstop assembly on all aircraft of these models in their fleet. They said the same thing to the FAA and the CAA. The JCAB issued Airworthiness Directive TCD 7153-2007 on August 26, 2007, instructing all Japanese operators of Boeing 737-600-700-700-C-800-900-900ER to conduct a repeat inspection to take the necessary actions on the downstop assembly. For, for reference, those are all the different models of 737 yes. in service at the yes. time. Yes, that have the same slat. Assembly. Yes. So 737, 600, 737, 700, and all through that. Yes. The JCAB then issued another airworthiness directive, TCD slash or dash 7153A-2007 on August 29, 2007, abolishing the previously issued airworthiness directive, which instructed them to conduct repetitive inspections and take the necessary actions on the downstop assembly using a revised method that included a new process. So instead of using the old process, they went, no. New process. New process. They said, don't just look at it and inspect it. Do this thing. Yes. And it should stop it. <laughs> the JCAB issued Airworthiness Directive TCD 7240-2008 on March 25th, 2008, instructing all Japanese operators of Boeing 737 300s, 400s, and 500s to conduct repetitive inspections on the downstop assembly on all aircraft of these models in their fleet. So that one says to... Continue inspections on the Classic Series, not the NG Series. Right. And as I said, they did the same thing. They issued all of these airworthiness directives were also issued in the United States and also in Taiwan. Because the United States is where Boeing is and Taiwan is where China China Airlines is. Okay, so the next thing I'm going to read is actions taken by the manufacturer of the aircraft. So this is actions taken by Boeing, because Boeing is the manufacturer of the 737. Following this incident, the Boeing company is the manufacturer of the aircraft, made a change to the design of the downstop assembly, and started applying the newly designed downstop assembly to its new production aircraft of applicable models from August 2008. As measures of these aircraft already in service, Boeing released a service bulletin, which is written out there, but I'm not going to read. Yeah, that's fine. On December 15, 2008, that provides operators with instructions to replace the existing downstop hardware with the new design hardware, intending to prevent leaking fuel from dropping on the engine fan nozzle, Boeing issued service bulletin on, or a service bulletin, it should say. <laughs> Remember, these are, this is from Japan. So, on November 13, 2008, instructing modification to operators so as to secure drain path for leaking fuel in the area keeping it away from the engine fan nozzle so if for whatever reason there is a fuel leak it now gets directed away from the uh engine Engine? the hot engine pretty important very important (laughs) which is why this hasn't happened since right Next thing is actions taken by the operator of the aircraft. So following this incident on February and March of 2009, the operator, or China Airlines, revised definitions of job order document maintenance manual and so forth as follows. Number one, job order improvement. 
the introduction of support systems for the job site and revision of maintenance manuals. And number two, difficulty reporting system. China Airlines developed three feedback systems for the purpose of reporting difficulties or problems on the job order. Supplementary worksheet procedure, technical support for maintenance and event, and system engineer technical support procedure. So those are just like if you're having problems with something and you need to report it's, it. It's like a survey kind of. Yeah. Like you did this job. How hard was it? Yeah. Exactly. Could you see? <laughs> and I, I mean, I think no. that's a pretty important thing to do with like any new maintenance or procedure you're going to do in aviation is if you're going to if you're going to be performing this new procedure, it's like, hey, we noticed this problem. We noticed this problem. Perform this work on this airplane. But also. We haven't had very many people do this, so tell me what you think when you're done doing the maintenance. Right. <laughs> so that we can make this better. Did you hear a tink? Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> then you should probably try to do it again. Okay, so emergency communication function for MCA radio. So the the next couple are going to be about uh, basically the... Airport? Airport. The, yeah, this is about... When they're talking about MCA radio, they're specifically talking about communication between the tower and the firefighters. Yeah. So on t- September 6, 2007, the Naha Airport Office added an emergency communication function to the MCA radios used by air traffic controllers. This function allows the air traffic controllers to make a broadcast to all other parties in a group automatically, interrupting any ongoing communications. So, so it th- says, screw your transmission, mine's more important. Exactly. There's and an it emergency. sends it to a much wider group of people. Right. There's an emergency. You need to hear this transmission. Probably like incoming aircraft and all that stuff so they know you should stay in place. Things like that. They It transmits it to the, the local uh, center, like the ARTCC and the uh, departure approach controllers, all that. Ground controllers so yes. that they don't let people just... Waltz around Taxi the around the airport yeah. with so a there's not that one plane guy. on fire. Yeah. Okay, and then last one, actions taken by the Civil Aviation Bureau of Japan. On September 10, 2007, the Civil Aviation Bureau of the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, Transport, and Tourism ordered the Tokyo Regional Civil Aviation Bureau and the Osaka... Regional Civil Aviation Bureau to undertake the following items with the aim of enhancing the firefighting and rescue systems at the airports because it wasn't so great. Yeah. Review of the communication flows to relevant organizations for emergency reporting quickly responsive to cash-prone calls. Crash-prone calls. Implementation of training for airport fire engines movement most adopted to in-apron accidents. And enhancement of coordination between airport fire service and ATC for swift and smooth firefighting operations on the airport premises. Following the order, both regional civil aviation bureaus reviewed the communication flows, conducted vehicle movement training, reviewed the operation and other manuals, and carried out communication training. So this doesn't happen again. Which is pretty important because if you ask me, that was probably the biggest breakdown. Thankfully, nobody got injured, nobody nobody died, nothing like that. But that was luck. That was sheer luck. Pretty much. I mean, kind of. I mean, it's we, they plan for it in aviation so that people yeah. evacuate quickly. But it was lucky that it was a nice day. It was during the daytime. There were no planes on either side. 
there wasn't a jetway. Yeah. Like, all of these circumstances, if one had happened, like, if there was a plane next to it, that could have erupted on fire, too. Like... Yeah. I mean, yes, all these things are true. Ultimately, yes, there was a lot of things that went right for them. But, yes, there's still that big breakdown. Yeah. And that was bad. The fact that it took them six and a half minutes for them to get there. Like, that's not great. That's very problematic. Yeah. When there's a fire that could potentially kill people on board. Yeah. Which, again, the evacuation was very smooth and no other planes were affected and, you know, all this stuff. Very fortunate for them, the circumstances surrounding what happened. Because this is something we're talking about that the crew had no control over. Yeah. It just happened. <laughs> right. And fortunately, the the crew members on board, so the flight attendants, knew how to get everyone off safely. And everyone did as they were told. It looks like no one tried to take anything off. I mean, we don't know that. But uh, if they did, it didn't matter. Right. Yeah, pretty much. So fortunately, one, one lady did take one piece of baggage. She took her crutches. Oh, well, that's a little different. <laughs> Need that. When you can't How walk. Dare she? <laughs> well, she was having trouble getting out of her seat and someone went back to go help her because her crutches were in the overhead compartment and she was in a window seat. Oh, that's unfortunate. Oh. That's really unfortunate. And she was seated right next to the engine. But she made it off alive. Well, yes. Otherwise, we would have heard about it. Yeah. That's, you know, hey, that's yep. like a worst case scenario, but you made it off alive. Well, and that's what crews are trained for, right? Yep. Is to help you make sure you know where you're supposed to go, first of all, when there's an evacuation. Away from the plane. Ex- exactly. <laughs> all those people were running but, the like, right way. Do you go forward you go back always listen to crew members don't panic i mean it's very i realize that's hard that's a tall order but but panicking only makes things worse that's how people get trampled that's how people get hurt it doesn't sound like anybody got hurt i mean you might have gotten some rug burn maybe from the slides because they're but no one got trampled no one got trampled it seems like everyone even though there was a little bit of panic didn't push people off the aircraft or anything you know nothing bad like that happened right which is good when you're a passenger be a good passenger right yeah. let the crew guide you okay unless they're incapacitated that's unfortunate in which case you should have read your safety card exactly and don't trample people that doesn't need to be in the safety card don't do that <laughs> yeah just help people pro tip don't trample pro trip <laughs> pro trip <laughs> pro tip i'm pro really tip. good at tripping i'm a pro tripper <laughs> You're not allowed on the plane anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that was China Airlines Flight 120. Thank you, Emily, for joining us. Thanks. You're welcome. I know you didn't have a lot of questions, but that just means that we did a good job, I think. I hope. I hope. That's the hope. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our patrons, of course, always for supporting us. Thank you to everyone who listens every week, because you guys literally keep our lives, like, great. And thank you for all of your positive feedback. It really does mean a ton to us. Yes. yes. Thank you so much. You guys also- are nice. <laughs> <laughs> also, the so next week will be when we do April stories. So it's your brainy stories or anything that has to do with weather, really. We'll take those, too. Or again, if you want to just send us uh, a story. Any old, any old story. Yeah. We'll, we'll read it for you. Thanks to everyone who submitted them last month, because we had so many, we didn't have to tell our own stories, which was nice. So, if you have any questions, let us know. Feedback, etc. You guys, all that information is on the website, as usual. And we hope you have a great week, and you stay safe, and you stay healthy. Keep, Keep your speed up! up.
Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by all three of us. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.